So, I mean, from my perspective, it's kind of a positive thing about fast food. Like, yeah, they're, you know, destroying the rainforest and killing all these animals. Right. But if they can be hitting Pop's stone. I mean, yeah, come yeah. on. <laughs> well, they should put it on the uh, veggie burger next time. <laughs> I, I know. The BK <laughs> veggie. <laughs> it might make it a little easier. Sense of me and mayonnaise. All right. All right, we have a reporter in the studio. We do. <laughs> She's snapping away. Melissa, if she's taking our pictures, we're going to be on the news. We're going to be famous, kids. Yeah, I So now you finally get to see us naked. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, we've got the fishing industry could collapse by 2050. I don't believe it, but if current trends of overfishing and pollution continue by 2050, the populations of just about all seafood face collapse. Defined as 90% depletion, a team of ecologists and economists warns in a study published in Friday's issue of the journal Science. Whether we looked at tide pools or studies over the entire world's ocean, we saw the same picture emerging. In losing species, we lose the productivity and stability of entire ecosystems, said lead author Horace Worm of Dalhousie University. Horace Worm. In, <laughs> in Halifax, Canada. There's going to be no more fish left in the entire world. Worm, he's got something against fish, didn't he? <laughs> When ocean species collapse, it makes the ocean itself weaker and less able to recover from shocks like global climate change, Worm said. And then the worms will take over the world. <laughs> this research shows we'll have a few viable fisheries by 2050. Andrew Shugden, International Managing Editor of Science, told reporters at a telephone news briefing. This work also shows that it's not too late to act. The international team spent four years analyzing 32 controlled experiments. Other studies from 48 marine protected areas and global catch data from the UN Food and Agriculture, Agriculture Organization's database of all fish and invertebrates worldwide from 1950 to 2003. That's a, uh, do we need all that information? <laughs> the scientists also look at, at a 1,000 year time series for 12 coastal regions, drawing on data from archives, fishery records, sediment cores, and archaeological data. At this point, 29% of fish and seafood species have collapsed. That is, their catch has declined by 90%. It's a very clear trend, and it's accelerating, Worm said. If the long-term trend continues, all fish and seafood species are projected to collapse within my lifetime by 2048. Joshua Reichert, head of the private Pew Charitable Trust Environment Program, pointed out that worldwide fishing provides $80 billion in revenue, and 200 million people depend on it for their livelihoods. Yeah, so hot. For more <laughs> For more than 1 billion people, many of whom are poor, fish is their main source of protein, he said. So they're going to have to switch to tofu. That's not too much protein. Well, yeah, urchin was very popular in Japan. Another scientist, Joe Urchin. Yes, Joe Urchin, he's up in there. What are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? So no matter how much uh, seafood declines, urchins will always be with us. So they're, they're like in excess right now? Yes, in particles. Urchin are in excess? You just made that up. And no. I think we're going to correspond to Barnacle Bill to come in and come in on the story. Woo! Looks like it's time for the next story. Yep. Detective search homes of AR activists. Search warrants were served at the homes of the animal rights activists in L.A., Orange, and Ventura counties. Santa Monica police confirmed Thursday. Police would not reveal what they were looking for or why, saying the raids were part of an ongoing investigation. 
Dr. Jared Vlasic, an emergency room doctor who also serves as a spokesman for the North American Animal Liberation Press Office, which often releases details of attacks by animal rights activists and those perceived as treating animals cruelly, said his home in Santa Monica was searched at 1 a.m. Tuesday. The Santa Monica home of another animal rights activist, Linda Green, was also searched about the same time, Vlasic said. Neither occupant was at home. Vlasic said that in 2004, Santa Monica police raided the home of Goldfinger lead guitarist John Feldman in Bel Air. No arrests were made, and the city of Santa Monica paid Feldman 75000 for the raid last year. Do you know that new James Bond's coming up? <laughs> I'm not excited. Speaking of Goldfinger, is James Bond vegan? Um, one, of them is, one of them is vegetarian. Isn't that true? One of the old uh, ones? Yeah. yeah. What's his name? Roger Moore? I think so. And, um, <coughs> yeah, well, Moby did the uh, theme, James Bond theme for one of the movies. He's vegan. <laughs> There's definitely a vegan connection with James Bond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apparently the Santa Monica police are fond of rummaging through the belongings of innocent people who advocate for animals, plastic side. My wife's underwear drawers seem to be of special interest to them, mm-hmm. although the press office premises themselves have not been touched as yet. Although several computers were taken during the raids, backup data was kept at other locations, and the office was back in operation within hours, the activist said. Recent posts to the organization's website include information on actions taken against UCLA researchers and L.A. Animal Services. So our rights are, once again... Yeah, uh, we would like to remind everyone to um, talk to your congressman in the House about... um, Or congresswoman. Congressperson about the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, uh, you can go to stopaeta.org to find out more. It's a, a bill that's already gone through the Senate, and it's in the House, um, the House version. And if it gets passed, there's going to be a lot of vegans going to jail soon. Including <laughs> 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 <Pretty> me. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have to run the show on my own? <laughs> well, you'll be in there with me. I will? A separate cell. <laughs> terrible, as usual. Terrorist. <laughs> I'm a terrorist. Exactly. All okay, right. So that's it. Do you have any announcements? We have the vegan belly uh, veg potluck coming up. Belly vegan potluck coming up this Sunday at 5:30 at Evolution at 22 Chestnut Street in Florence, behind the Sicko Station, and starts at 5:30. Food starts at six. Bring a dish, bring your own plates, silverware, and cups, and we might have a speaker. It's unknown at this point. But de- <laughs> definitely a potluck, definitely good times, good talk. It'll be fun. Show good up. times will be had by all. That's right. So we're plotting our next terrorist act. Well, yeah, <laughs> our next vegan exactly. potluck. Vegan potlucks will be acts of terrorism pretty soon. I'm sure. So uh, shall we interview our speakers too? Michelle, Anchor, how are you doing? Great. <laughs> so, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you did in Brazil? Yeah. Um, so the, the premise of our of our voyage there, of our trip there, was to start a in a communal space where different people could work on whatever art projects they they wanted to work on for a while, but were constrained by schedules and you know modern capitalism. So some people are working desk jobs and can't get around painting, and some people wanted to be fluid, some people wanted to write. And my part of all this was I wanted to start a restaurant. 
I got in a dream a couple of years ago when I was traveling through Chile that I was going to open a vegetarian restaurant in Brazil. I'd never been to Brazil. I didn't speak any Portuguese at the time. But I kind of told a couple of friends, and they supported it. And now I'm the founder of at this vegetarian post-capitalist restaurant. Right. Post-capitalist restaurant. Yeah, the point of that was just that um, trying to create a whole new system of social relations, which would be based on a new system of economic relations. And so the ownership of the collective and uh, the interaction, the exchange in the economy would be, would be based on the gift and not really on purchasing. So the whole way the restaurant was run is we just gave the food kind of as a sacred offering, and people gave money when they, they wanted to. There was no price, or we didn't even have a recommended price at that time. We just, we just wanted to, like, have people to eat the food, like, be nourished, be happy, and then make up whatever they could. Did it work out so that, I'm sure there were some people that didn't give anything or didn't give much at all. Did it work out at least balanced for some people who gave enough so that you were able to support just buying groceries to keep the restaurant running? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Um, the balance was actually in the other direction. Everyone gave more than I would have expected. Oh, uh, wow. Which, which was problematic, because we lived on an island full of like, poor fishermen, people who are going to be even poorer, if your news reports are correct, in the future. Yeah. And they didn't have, like, they didn't have the comfort, or we didn't do the outreach enough to, to create the culture where they could come in and feel like they could have a meal without paying. Oh, you know, okay. I think in our society, being able to receive is often harder mm-hmm. than being able to give. So, don't I know it? while we were there. Oh, okay. We had a six-month lease on the space. Okay. With some sort of strange Argentina coquette. And are you going back? I am always going back. <laughs> 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 um, maybe in a couple of years. Maybe in a year. And did you uh, influence anybody with vegetarianism down there? Or were they just, uh, they just came for the food and not the politics? No, it's hard to say. I think those kinds of uh, social and psychological changes might take a while to manifest themselves. Right. It definitely attracted a lot of people from the mainland, like more middle class Brazilians. Did, by, by did a lot people of ask questions? Or yeah, definitely. Why, why you were serving vegetarian or anything like that? I mean, the main question would be like from some kind of six foot tall, almost naked Brazilian dude being like, Frango! Frango! <laughs> with some chicken. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, dude, no Frango. <laughs> Why not? That was right. the, kind of the main question. But then you, you could get into it and be like, oh, like, you know, we're, we're not interested in killing animals when we realize that we have enough to survive without doing so. You know, our, right. our own survival is important. Why you? And then they have a great culture there of eating rice and beans. Right. They have like poor people all, all over the world. Meat is a luxury, yeah. right? Yeah. So these people happen to be fishermen, so in most seasons they could get fish. But otherwise, like, they're totally fine eating rice and beans. Nutritionally, I think, there's definitely a desire to need of conditions associated with wealth, right? Right. So, you know, like, you guys are weird, wealthy Americans. Like, where's the frown go? That's, that's what, what I think we need to, you know, set an example here in America that we don't need to eat meat, and then, then that will stop being associated with wealth. Did I say associated right now? Associated? Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. That's a good point. What were people's reactions with the, um, your money system of saying, oh, you can just pay what you can 
what, what were people's, what did they do? Yeah, I think they understood that even, even less, you know. <laughs> it's like pretty strange ideas. Right. Yeah. But some of the people that came from the mainland were, were really hip to it and were vegetarian and they were involved in like cooperative businesses and like electronic and DJs and open source software and like they had, there's that whole undercurrent there as well, right. you know, especially in the urban areas. And they were totally into it. They're like, oh yeah, and then they would like think about it and decide try and give more in one day and less the next and just play with it. Oh, interesting. And what do you think you could have done now looking back um, to kind of get the people who were just the on the land of the fishermen or fisherwomen, whoever it might be, like to get them to come in more and to feel that they could just have a free meal? Did you analyze it at all and think, yeah. what could we have done? I think in general when I look back on things, whether it was a Brazilian experiment or other projects I've done or relationships, I always think that you just could have given more. You know, like I feel like what we're here to do is, is just to give everything we have, you know, just to give and give and to give. And so we, we would take food, I would make plates of food and take it to like a little market where I got the vegetables. Because mm-hmm. the food was different every day depending on what they had in it. And so I would, yeah, I would bring them like some empanadas or some sandwiches or veggie burgers. I should have just done that for uh, for everyone. You know, I should have just given away like all the food every day. Right. There's some extra we need to eat it or something right. like that. I think that's, you know, just even go, like, just go to people's houses. They're super welcoming, and they love to have you in the house, and invite you, like, coffee, and they want to share their food with you, too. And we lived in a community with a bunch of friends there, so I spent a lot of time in that community and less time working other people's houses. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the cookbook, you have a cookbook, too, did that about a lot of this project? Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's the big marketing thing. <laughs> <laughs> I looked for it on, on Amazon, I couldn't find it. I searched on the internet and I found it. Okay. Yeah, there's no ISBN on the first edition, so we're not on Amazon. But you can buy it from our website. And by buy, I mean donate. There's no price. It's a recommended donation. The cookbook, um, it came out of the restaurant. They're all recipes that we made in Brazil. But the whole philosophy and the techniques, they come from all over the world. And I've cooked and traveled and learned mainly from old women in France and Argentina and Brazil and Lebanon and India and in this country so it has, it has the wisdom from, from all of those people. Mm-hmm. What does the title mean? Can you tell us the title? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Cooking con Bigoji. Okay. And Bigoji. Bigoji, pronounce it When I first published it, I published it in India last year, and I would give it to people and record them saying the title. But one guy, he was like, Cooking, cooking con Bigoji. It sounded like cooking can be got. It's going to be the title for the second edition. <laughs> so I think that's the real that's point. That's the real point. Yeah, that's the real point. And right now the blog I started that has new recipes that are based on this, that the name of my blog is Cooking Can Be God. Nice. But the goji is, is mustache. Oh, okay. So, so, so cooking with a mustache. Andre used to have a giant mustache, is that true? Yeah, I mean, that's what you're thinking. the radio listeners can, can see this, but it's about this big, <laughs> you know. It's been up to this big at points. You know. So did, you, did it come out and, like, do a little twirl? Did you ever do that? At times. Yeah. <laughs> the, the main point, actually, my friend Chris is here outside yes. the studio. And it was the first day we moved to Brazil. And I was interrupted shaving because we had to go out and have dinner at some point just before we had the restaurant. And I had this mustache. And it doesn't, it doesn't look very flattering at all. Mustaches are not in right now. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not in Brazil. It's like, see, in Brazil and South India, and it's, it's a sign of, like, Macho. It's a, it's a <laughs> <laughs> I stumbled upon it. <laughs> so the bigger the 
mustache the more the man. Oh, apparently. Yes. But Chris was like, oh, man, like, you have to keep that mustache. I was like, there's no way. But what, what are you going to offer me in return? And he said if I had the mustache the whole time I was there for six months, he would get a tattoo anywhere on his body that I wanted. Wow. Anyway, so I had that. And where did he get the tattoo? Yeah, mustache tattoo, tattoo down to him. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this tradition, you know, in, I don't know if we have something like this in this country. They say, like, see you later. Or yeah. Come and thank you. Come again. Yep. At the end of a restaurant. Well, in Brazil, they say same kind of thing. They say, volta sempre, which means always return. Hmm. And I wanted to get that and a mustache tattooed on his like, left butt cheek. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as I know, he's outside. But as far as I know, he hasn't yet done that. He has not gotten the tattoo. We've got to have him come in and show us his butt. Yeah, yeah and it, it won't be in order. But <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. And um, Akhar also had, you have another couple projects, and one you were saying that you did organic farming. Yeah, I work for an organic farm in Washington State. It's called Nash's Organic Produce. And it's a, it's a big place. It's about 300 acres. But all done with a lot of love and uh, sustainability in mind, in mind because they're organic. And is there a CSA involved? Yeah. Too? And I work on their CSA, and I write actually a newsletter for them, um, which is recipes in a style, which if you, if you see the book, I don't know if you could look at a recipe in a second, but it's, it's not just a, a list of ingredients and instructions. It's more of a story of guessing the whole philosophy behind the food, which is kind of the ethos of what's going on. So I try and do that every week, depending on what's seasonal, and kind of weave stories into it. I do that for the farm. That's nice. It's kind of what I want to continue doing. And that's once a week or once a month? Mm-hmm. Or? I'm supposed to do it today. Uh-oh. <laughs> 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 You're making a big impact here. Oh. All across the world. Uh, yeah, I hope somebody's cooking. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what recipes... Um, there was a recipe that we asked you to bring for, since this is like our Thanksgiving show, our show before Thanksgiving. Do you want to summarize that? What can people eat instead of turkey? Yeah. Well, um, I think for me, like when I, when I got that message last night, right. uh, Thanksgiving is a really, it's a time of, of, of thanks, you know, and really honoring all of the food and how it came to us. And so this morning I wrote some recipes and kind of made a little prayer. I don't know if I can give that to you guys for your website. Check our show notes, www.veganradio.com. I would give us a few hours to put it up. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first thing I would think of would be just gravy. Like, simple, cooked, unsalted gravy with a big pot of that for 20 people, and then that would be your Thanksgiving feast. Wow. And just rain, no flavor. Simple man. No flavor. Simple man. Well, there is flavor, but no... No seasoning. No seasoning, yeah. Wow. Just, just to really give thanks for that sustenance. I think that, you know... All of these, all the sensory world, all of these sensations which we love so much and always embroiled in, I think at times they can take away from this notion of like, what are we really thankful for and what is at the root. So I think Thanksgiving is a good opportunity for that. So if you do that, you can be thankful you don't eat like that every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or be in community for, with the millions of people that do. Right, right. No, but I, li- I like what Uncle's saying. It's just like. It's I do too, but I have to make jokes. <laughs> and just being really present, which, um, you know, this is a little aside, but you'll find at, like, meditation retreat places, mm-hmm. there's no talking, like, during breakfast or lunch, and it's, like, just trying to make people aware of actually what they're doing, and, like, oh, I'm about to eat, and I'm thinking about eating, I'm not thinking about five million other things, which is 
one of the main problems of Americans is like go 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 go, and there's no there's no awareness anymore. It's just like constant running around and not not connecting. So you're talking about being real basic and connecting with what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So I think uh, in honor of that, Megan should make some Thanksgiving uh, cupcakes with no sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Sugar, no frosting, just white flour and water. I'll I'll let you uh, take care of that one. Okay. For for a recipe, if you had wanted a recipe, I made something the other day from the local farm, the food bank farm. Yeah. Nice. That's big around here. Really, really great. And we just took a whole bunch of their different root vegetables, beans, root roasted. Those are tough ones. Those are tough ones. Exactly. Not a big root roast fan, but I think your recipe. Well, there's there's a couple keys if you. I mean really get the flavors out mm-hmm. without using a lot of spice. Because you can do it with cloves and garlic mm-hmm. all kinds of different things. But I did it just with a sprinkling of sea salt, but you cut it all pretty small. Mm-hmm. Not exactly like a brunoise cut, but little chunks that could fit like you could fit two or three of these in your mouth at a time and it'd still be like succulent. So you cut them that small, they'll roast a lot faster and they'll be a lot wetter. And it, and it comes out and you can really get the flavor of each individual vegetable. And they come out shining like superstars. Parsnips and the rutabaga and different colors. Is there any oil in this or just no. the Just no. root vegetables and stuff. This is a simple man here in front of me. I'm working up to it. It's just the first two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay, we've got more. The third course, of course, would be the vegan mayonnaise. Ah, sense of mayo. What is this? What's sense of mayo? Sense of mayo? It's vegan mayonnaise with sense of mayo in it. We have, uh, I was at Woodstock Sanctuary this week, and I interviewed Jenny Brown and her friends uh, about turkeys for the turkey show. And we're going to play that interview. Okay, I'm here with the ladies of Woodstock. Woo! Woodstock! Woo! And the turkeys. Yes, we have how many turkeys? We have seven turkeys in here now. 
Seven. We just got four new ones that just came via Turkey Express from Farm Sanctuary. So could you each state your name and uh, what you're, what you do here? I'm Sheila, and I'm volunteering. I came over to help for a few weeks from Scotland. I'm Jenny Brown. I'm director of the sanctuary, and uh, I'm now a local. <laughs> no. now local. A, a, a local? A local. Not a local. <laughs> Too local. <laughs> I'm Luisella. I work here mostly with the animals and whatever else. And, and where are you from? I'm from Italy. Yeah. Italy. Exotic what part of Italy? Geneva. Geneva. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we have an international uh, cast of characters. We're really into multi- multiculturalism. And what about the turkeys? Where are they from? Uh, well, they all came from um, places where they were actually intended to be Thanksgiving dinner. But um, the three big boys that we've had that are now a year old were being sold online when they were just little babies by a guy who was uh, doing an online raise-your-own-Thanksgiving meal gimmick. And um, they somebody went to go look at the turkeys, and they were all in really bad shape. And they talked to the guy about it, and the guy let them have them all. They went to Farm Sanctuary, and then we were able to take three of them. And the other ones were actually just recently rescued from a turkey farm, and then they were dumped at Farm Sanctuary. So we also helped them by taking some of them as well. That's great. Yep. So is there a Thanksgiving equivalent in Scotland, Sheila? No, not really. No? Because uh, something associated with the church at the end of October used to be and used to take homemade produce when I was little, but now people just have an extra collection. But it's a church thing about at the end of the harvest. But it's not a big thing like it is here. It doesn't involve so much death. Could you tell us about haggis? <laughs> haggis. Haggis is traditionally served St Andrew's Day, which is the end of November, or more, more even so, for Burns, Robert Burns, because he wrote a poem to a haggis. And a haggis <laughs> is from... The, the myth is that haggis run around the mountains of Scotland and their inside legs are shorter than their outside legs, so they don't... So if they go the wrong way, they roll down the mountain. <laughs> but actually, what they used to be was a sheep's stomach full of grains and a... Uh, to pad out when you used to use the offal from the animal. So although it's totally unvegan and un anything that any of us would want to eat, at least in those days they used the whole animal. They didn't discard anything. Mm, intestines. And, and now and, and nowadays Don't a, they still a, do that with hot there's, dogs? There's a com- probably there's a company in <laughs> Scotland whose vegetarian haggis, which is vegan, is actually more popular than their regular haggis. So we like them. In all of Scotland? Yeah, McSween's. They're one of the wow. main makers of haggis, and their vegetarian haggis is very, very popular. So they make both kinds, though. Yeah, they do, unfortunately. They but have they a had vegan sh- stomach. <laughs> it's a stuff. Yeah, it's just, um, it's <laughs> pretend. Faux <laughs> stomach lining? Yeah, yeah, it's full stomach lining, that's right. <laughs> so how about you, Luisella? What's the uh, gross food in Italy? Steer bollocks. <laughs> 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 I don't know what they're called, though. What are bollocks? Test- bollocks? Testicles. Thank oh, you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing for Thanksgiving. We don't have anything equivalent. No? No, I discovered it here. So what are you thankful? I'm thank- glad we don't have it. What are you thankful for this holiday season? For this Thanksgiving. I'm thankful to be here with all these turkeys. They're going to share dinner with us. Yeah? Yeah. Jenny Brown, you want to tell us about your uh, turkey event? Well, we're... I would love to be promoting it, but we're totally sold out as of today. Yay! Yay! Not next year's. 
huh? Next year's okay. So next year, <laughs> send in your money now. Second <laughs> annual Thanksgiving event, and uh, we we thought the name Thanksgiving was kind of clever because these turkeys are really thankful for living, and so they're the guests of honors instead of the main course, and they're actually going to be joining us at a big dinner, a big vegan feast out in a heated tent out in our goat pasture. And um, and the turkeys are going to be joining us at their own table, and we're going to have some pumpkin pie for them and some stuffed squash and all sorts <laughs> of good stuff. And we've got some speakers. Will there be vegan haggis? No, that would have been a turkeys really good thing to get. Sheila cooked that for us. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good thing to have, but no. Any bullocks? I think we could do No, that. no bullocks. <laughs> Vegan bullocks. That would be good. Except from what comes from you. Okay. that <laughs> <laughs> um, So does anyone have any uh, turkey stories you could share? The first, t- the first time I ever went to farm sanctuary, and the second day I was there, I'd clean a turkey pu- the turkey barn, and there was a small pit off, and I was tired, and I thought nobody could see me, so I sat down, and a turkey... I can't remember her name. I think it was Shalom, which is ironic. Peace. She came over and she put her head on my lap for me to stroke her, just the way that dogs that I've known in the past have. And she really removed me. We don't. We have turkey as Christmas in the UK. Everybody, it's the equivalent of your Thanksgiving in terms of the amount of slaughter that goes on. And I'd never met a turkey before. And then this turkey came and put her head on my lap, and I've never forgotten her. Were you vegetarian at that time, or? I was vegan. I've been vegan for quite a long time. How long? 19 years. Wow. Congratulations. She trumps us Thank all, you. man. Thank you. That's because I'm older than everybody, though. Are we going to have a party for your 20th uh, vegan anniversary? Yeah, I think so. But even when, when I get past, when I've been vegan longer than I ever... I've been vegan longer than I ate meat. I think when we have the party, we'll uh, get some haggis imported from Scotland. Yeah, I, I tried vegan to bring, haggis. I tried to bring some this time, but... I couldn't sneak it in my bag. I got other. I got vegan wine and vegan biscuits in, but I couldn't manage to get the haggis in. So she's a great resource of vegan anything. Sheila, <laughs> yes, she is. Biscuits are cookies, by the way. <laughs> she's got a sweet tooth. Yeah, yep. very much. Yep. So. She does. I never do any baking when Sheila's here visiting the farm and staying with us. We, she's we doing get all, the all sorts of really great <laughs> baked treats. That's great. I don't have any stories, but I have a question. I wonder how they can always manage to make their turkey sound in unison while stretching their necks all at the same time. <laughs> it seems to be perfectly coordinated. So yeah, that's kind of wild. I wonder how they do that. It's like a microsecond, I think, of hearing where they, one of them hears it begin and there's just something in the air and they all do it in unison. And they I stretch don't, at the same Yeah, time. and they stretch their necks at the same <laughs> time to gobble. Can we try that it's song like a chorus that, that line. Susie taught us? I can probably yeah. try that song that Susie from Farm Sanctuary said. All the turkeys in the barn go, wah! (laughs) 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 Happy Thanksgiving! (laughs) My name is Kenneth Williams. You're listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. And on the web at www.veganradio.com. My favorite slogan, go vegan and nobody gets hurt.
wanted to talk turkey with you. Okay, that's great. Do you bring any turkey friends over to your house to join in? Well, I've got some roosters over here, though. I'm sure you'll hear them. Okay. <laughs> roosters? They're not going to fit into our turkey show soon. I know, but that's, that's all that I have living here. <laughs> <laughs> so you have the day off today and you're, you're at home? I'm at home. I'm got a day off for... Because it's nice. <laughs> I haven't had a day off for a while. I know. You work too hard. I know. That's okay, though. So, um, do you want to tell us uh, about what you do at Farm Sanctuary just very briefly, and then we'll talk about turkeys? Well, very briefly, um, Farm Sanctuary Shelter um, right now has over 700 animals that we take care of every day. Um, and we have healthcare people and cleaners and feeders, and basically we just make sure that everybody gets what they need every single day. Nice. There's a lot of individual treatment. So, here comes the rooster. <laughs> What's his name? His name is Basil. Basil? Basil. Does he like to get Basil? <laughs> That's Basil. He knows his name. <laughs> um, so tell us um, about about turkey behavior, uh, turkey intelligence. <laughs> tell us what you know about turkeys. I'll tell you all about turkeys. Turkeys are very intelligent, even though people seem to have some understanding that they're not, and they, they definitely are. Um, they have very good friendships with each other. They bond. Um, the females can bond with other females. They have friends that they're with for the rest of their life. And they actually mourn when that friend is gone, just like people mourn when they lose a friend. Um, we have some of the same group come in together, and they're never apart until they die, which is the, the beauty of having them at a shelter or sanctuary. It's because they do get to be who they are, and they get to have these friendships. It can last forever, and this was just going to interrupt my conversation. And... <laughs> have all the normal behaviors that a wild turkey has. Um, when they're young, they roost. They, they do every single thing that a normal you know, wild turkey will do, even though their bodies have been made to be so large. And as they age, they have more problems with that. They can't hurt once they get older. Um, they don't run around as much. Um, but they still want to be turkeys. And we've just bred them to be so large. And I think people see them as being dumb because do you have any um, turkey stories that are endearing? Traditions, uh, bourbon. There's this wild turkey. Does that, what does it have to do with turkeys? Wild turkey, the alcohol drink. No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure it probably doesn't have anything specifically to do. Well, you know, hunters like to get drunk. So, <laughs> but you think it's vegetarian? 
why they do the DBs and the sewing instead of spreading them out and letting them live a natural life. Um, and the detailing, obviously, is um, they say they're taking the toenail. Half the time they take the joint, um, like down to the first joint. But they're cutting that off again with a hot iron so they don't bleed to death. Um, and both procedures are done, sorry, procedures are done without anesthesia. And the beak is one of the most sensitive areas on the bird. It has a lot of nerve endings. Um, it bleeds. Um, it can bleed to death if it's not cauterized properly. It's really done pretty randomly. And then they're very prone later on in life to bacterial infections because you have these open areas on the feet where they're basically standing in feces with toes that have been cut off. Like, so you've got this whole array of problems that can come later. And so, yes, those are things we deal with, and they can still have a good life, but that, they're raised that way since they're raised in confinement, and it's so bored and so, like, it's like going out of your mind. Right? It's like if somebody put you in a room for six months and walked the wall with people, the tendency would be for you to probably go insane. I, I can't fathom. Are these, are these practices done by, by veterinarians or by machines, or who's, who's, who's doing this? So these factory workers with machines. Yeah, the machine for cauterizing, like that, debeaking is a machine. And it goes very quickly. They do it like assembly line okay. work because there's so many birds going through, and that's why so many mistakes are made. But it's never done by a veterinarian. There's no veterinarian would do a million birds for the industry. Yeah. So uh, what's, what's the equivalent? Is like having a turkey toe cut off? Would that be like having one of our toes cut off? Um, it would be, it's supposed to be like having the toenail cut off to the very end. But again, if you can imagine like how a cat's toe is, like if you cut it to where it clicks, it, it's painful. But the worst thing is that they're, they're doing it so quickly. Nobody's taking time and you know, processing like how they're doing it. How many do they do? Like, um, do you have that? I don't have those figures, but if you think about like how many are in the warehouses, if you have a warehouse with 100,000 birds, they're not going to take five days to do it. They're going to exactly. be home in a day. So that's a lot of birds. So there's no way that they're taking time and they're not anesthetizing and they're not doing anything to make this bird more comfortable. And when we get the birds, um, like we've had some where they're, you know, the whole, like the whole first toe is cut like down to nothing. So they're making a lot of mistakes when they're doing it. Um, it's not just the toenail. I've never, we have some, we'll have some that'll have like one toenail. We'll have some that have like two toenails. Then we'll have some that have no toenails. But they'll also have no first joint. So they're definitely just doing it pretty quickly and pretty randomly. And again, the same with the beaks. We've had some dropped off at the farm that are obviously factory birds. And a, like a couple times, it's been just after they've been done. And they're, they're too weak. Like the babies are too weak and they die before we even have a chance to do anything with them because, you know, it's traumatizing. And they do lose blood. And also, um, I don't know if you know the figures on this, but um, those jobs, the people that are doing that, who are doing the toe and the beat cutting. Oh, it has to be mentally hideous. Yeah, and are, and are some of the lowest paid people as, as well. And so, you know, that's... Yeah, that's, there's, there's always a human rights issue, human labor. Definitely. It's not just the animals that are abused by this industry. Yeah, well, no, the, the industry abuses everyone it touches. It's not just abusing the animals. Um, so with, with chickens, there's different types. There's the broilers raised for meat and the, the egg layers raised for eggs. Um, is there, in the turkey industry, is it just one kind of turkey? Well, no, they actually, um, the turkey 
trying to swing into doing that, I think, to make it look like it's more humane. Um, but uh, in many of those places, if not all, I don't know the statistics on that, but we've gotten birds from, you know, organically raised places, and they're still easy to be towed. Um, they're still in that shape when they come in. So there's still no individualized care for any of these birds, even if they're not in mass mass production. Yeah, so I really need to stress that to our listeners when when they're buying... There's no humane meat. Yeah, when they're buying organic meat. No, and you, and you, you think that there's, um, there's no, no violence in meat, But there's also no such thing as humane slaughter. Right. Um, even if you have the best life in the world to die in that way is beyond anything you can imagine in your most horrible nightmare. A slaughterhouse or the killing floors of a slaughterhouse. It, it, I, don't, I don't care if they're raised, you know, beautifully. For the rest of their whole life, that's a horrible death. There's usually transportation to the slaughterhouse, which is also very traumatic. Very traumatic. Many of them die during that time. And these are not, even in organically raised farms, these birds are not living a normal life. I mean, they're still bred to be really big. They're not, they're not normal size birds. So, and they're not, they're still not given individual treatments. And a lot of times with organic, well, in all times with organic, if they're sick, they're not allowed to have antibiotics. So you're basically not doing them that big of favor in between. I, I see no way of raising for the amount of meat that the American population consumes. There's no way to give this animal a real life. So there cannot be any type of humane meat either. So uh, what are you going to have for Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have an un turkey. That's my favorite. It's your favorite. Are you going to be at the Farm Sanctuary Thanksgiving? Do you want to talk about that a little? Oh, yeah, actually, I'm going to be speaking at the Farm Sanctuary Thanksgiving. We have our Thanksgiving um, event in town at the potluck, so it's really good because there's lots of people bringing lots of food. I think there's 200 and some people coming right now. It's on, I think, the 19th, Sunday the 19th. Yeah. And Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen, New York, and you can call ahead. And I don't know if we're full yet. We usually fill up, but. It's a fantastic way to get together with a lot of people who love vegan food and can actually cook really, really well. So it's a really good meal. A lot of good food. A lot of good food, a lot of good people. And then I'm going to speak and do a PowerPoint with lots of pretty pictures of turkeys. And then you get to go on the farm and see the turkeys. Yeah, we have a We have some babies. There's some beautiful toms. We have just beautiful turkeys right now. They're just gorgeous. And it's just this huge vegan potluck meal, so you, you're sampling, like, hundreds of different kinds of uh, entrees and desserts. Right. It's a fantastic way to start being vegan, too, because you can realize how good the food actually is. Right. And then you can go feed the turkeys. Yes, you get to feed the turkeys. We make um, pumpkin pies, and they eat cranberries. They eat the whole thing, except they don't like the end turkeys. They don't like the end turkeys. <laughs> 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 Maybe, like, eating uh, mock human or something. Yeah. Like, if they ask, they can have a mock human, I think they <laughs>
Resources on our show notes, www.veganradio.com, on where to, uh, on some Thanksgiving recipes. There's, Fantastic. Uh, the new uh, new issue of Sacha magazine has a whole, it's all about turkeys. I know, there's three turkeys on the front, or the turkeys from the internet sale from last year. It came to Sponsor yep. and they're now living at Woodstock. Yep. And uh, so, and then the issue, uh, Issa, who did Vegan with a Vengeance and the Vegan Cook. Vegan Cupcake Cookbook has a bunch of recipes in there for Thanksgiving. So, listeners, you have no excuse to eat turkey this year. After all, I'm not forever. <laughs> and uh, you might even have time to get Ankar's cookbook here. Our, our guest has a cookbook, Susie. Okay, we'll, we'll, I like the cookbook. We'll get you a copy. I would love one. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's, oh, thank you. It's always great to hear from you and your you're the expert in animals as far as I'm concerned. Thanks, Susie. Uh, so have a happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yep, and hope to see you soon. You better. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Okay, well, that wraps up our show. Scott, did you have something to say? <laughs> no, I don't know. Every time I hear these stories about factory farms, I keep thinking, for some reason, that they're just practicing for the next wave.